Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 17 um, uh, together. Uh, Genesis 17 is a linchpin, so that means if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 17. It's a linchpin passage. It's vital to the understanding of the whole Bible. Do you know that this one passage is referred to 40 times in the Old Testament, 10 times in the book of Hebrews, eight times in both the books of Romans and Galatians, two times by James. It is... um, It was quoted by Peter when he preaches at Pentecost, and Stephen refers to Genesis 17 just before he is uh, murdered uh, under a hail of rocks, uh, the first martyr of the early church. Now, there is tension in this passage. I don't know if you'll, you'll, you'll pick it up uh, when I read. So I want you to know there's, um, there's tension because God is going to make a promise to Abraham that's utterly ludicrous. So ludicrous that Abraham laughs. He laughs at God. Um, it's, a, it's so unthinkable. And then God makes a um, command Uh, God uh, um, gives direction for something that he wants Abraham to do in this passage that is so ludicrous that I promise you that Abraham and none of the males in his household laughed about it at all. Um, So stand if you're able and willing. I'm going to read the whole chapter, Genesis 17. As a church, we're making our way through the book of Genesis in the fall, going back to get the narrative of redemption in the Bible right from the very um, beginning. And we start then in verse 1. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So Abraham is the father of Christianity. Abraham is the father of Judaism. Abraham is the father of Islam through Ishmael, uh, the father of a multitude of the earth, right? Um, And I will establish my covenant, says in verse seven, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring throughout your, their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. 
Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that, you know, Abraham here realized God's made a big mistake in his mathematical calculations of age and childbearing um, possibilities. So Abraham's going to help God out here a little bit. There's another option um, besides a child through Sarah. He says, oh, God, oh, that Ishmael, um, the illegitimate son born uh, to Abraham and Sarah's handmaid, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Isn't that great? I will establish my covenant with you as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after you. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with God, God went up from Abraham and Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of uh, his household. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, those bought with money from a foreigner, they were circumcised with him. May God bless this reading of his holy, infallible, and inspired word. God, we are not easy learners. We are stubborn. We have um, slow minds and, and, and resistant hearts. But break through, Lord, in your kindness and mercy. Teach us this morning, we pray. Amen. Be seated, um, please, if you would. Amazing stuff. You know how old this is? This is over 4,000 years ago. This is 2,600 years before Muhammad. This is, uh, this is a good probably uh, 1,500 years before Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, 2,000 years before them. I mean, this, is, this, is, uh, this goes way, way back. Um, it's a word of God for us. Listen, I want to ask this morning, have you ever felt stuck, hopeless, powerless? You know, there's, there's broken things in your life and no amount of human effort seems to get you unstuck, you know? It's not a matter of getting good advice. It's not a matter of trying hard. You're just stuck. And maybe you're depressed, you know what? You've been to doctors, you've taken the medicine, you've listened to podcasts, you've read books about it, you've been to therapy, and you're depressed. 
And no amount of trying not to be depressed seems to make you um, a well. You know what it's like to be without power? You know what it's like to be a dad and your daughter's bulimic? And again, you've tried all the remedies out there and you've prayed and you've fasted and you're willing to spend any amount of money um, and yet she's shrinking away before your very eyes. You're precious, your princess, your daughter and she's suffering and you can't stop it. Maybe you have a child, some of you, he's far from God. Maybe your child is uh, very successful in life except for they've abandoned Jesus and his church. And you know, the more you sort of try to intervene, the worse it seems to get. They're not really that receptive to you bringing it up. You don't have any power. You know, maybe, you're, maybe you have a child who's drug addicted. Um, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's marriage, right? Maybe again, you've been to marriage counseling, you've read the books, you've, you've tried, you've tried to pursue your spouse, but for whatever reason, it's not clicking, or maybe you're, you're not married at all. I don't know, have you ever just been stuck? Um, there's, there may be someone in this room who, who everything you've ever wanted, you have. But you're not happy. You're empty. Um, life's just dull for you. Um, what do you do? I, wanted to, I want you to see this morning that there was a man whose life was a mess. He was a Bedouin in the Persian Gulf thousands of years ago. He was from a pagan people. And when I say pagan people, I mean an idol-worshiping family. You know what that meant? That meant they burned little children to mollify the idols, child sacrifice. That means they burned virgins at the, to, to make sacrifices to the gods. They had many gods. They were rough, harsh, pagan people. And God comes to him and God says to him, Abram, I will be your God and your offspring will belong to me forever. God absolutely steps into this man's stuck life. This is the God you know who made everything. Just with his word, he made the universe. Have you seen these pictures from this new NASA telescope out in space? Scientists are like blown away. Scientists are saying, great. Now everything I've written, <laughs> everything I've written about the universe is not true. <laughs> I've got to rebound. I've got to start over. Um, the God, Abraham meets the God who made all that. And it, it didn't even break a sweat doing it. Abraham meets the one who could go to Lazarus's grave and his weeping sisters, his friends, the sisters of Lazarus, and, it, and the God who could say, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead man walked. The God who could, the Old Testament says, walk through a cemetery and call the dry bones to life again, right? This is who he meets, the God for stuck people, the God for powerless people. This is the God who is in the boat with the disciples in the Sea of Galilee when a hurricane sets on them, and they're going to die. They're hardened fishermen, but they're scared out of their, you know, knickers. And, um, and um, they wake up Jesus, and what does Jesus say? Hush, hush. And the winds and the waves, they obey him. What I want you to know this morning 
is whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever your life is, this is the God who'll get in the boat with you. And when he gets in the boat with you, there's nothing about your life that's stuck anymore. Have you made covenant with this God? This is rich, rich Old Testament stuff that spills right into the New Testament, that spills right off the pages of the Bible, right into your life. Are you in a covenant relationship with the creator God? You can go to church all your life and you can know theology. You can, you can read Hebrew and Greek upside down and not be in a covenant relationship with the living God. And it's a game changer. So let's look at it together. You got a sermon outline right in your um, bulletin. If you, we're gonna have a drawing after the service. The best outline filled out does not have to be circumcised. Um, so I got special dispensation for you right there. That is a lot of motivation right there. Um, first thing we wanna talk about this covenant is the promises, the promises of a covenant. What's a covenant? God says, I will make a, establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation. So this is an everlasting covenant. I will be a God to you and to your offspring. What's a covenant? A covenant is a, it's a contract. It's an, a, it's an agreement, right? Um, you, um, you know, a professional athlete has to sign a contract for X number of dollars, I'll play for this team. I won't play for any other team. I'm, I'm bound to you for this many years, right? And there's a contract. And if the player breaks the contract, you know, there's stipulations about what that means, right? We, uh, we have to sign when you borrow money from a bank. Believe me, you make an oath, right? Uh, they will take your firstborn child in a heartbeat, right? If you don't uh, make your payments. So those are, these are covenants. These are contracts. So... Um, the, the, a marriage of course is, is a covenant, right? Uh, we make an oath, um, before God and these witnesses, right? They're, uh, even witnesses, even sign still, right? Uh, the contract of marriage, a marriage license, um, we call it. So God having a covenant with God, um, in which we swear, God swears to it and we swear to it. That's actually still true. The covenant hasn't gone away. This is the way God relates um, to us. Now, when you make a covenant of marriage, it's a covenant between equals. But that's not what's taking place here. You have uh, someone who has high authority, power, and, uh, and someone who's essentially a nothing, okay? And they're making, it's called an ancient hit. These covenant that we find in the Bible take the same form as an ancient Hittite suzerain um, um, covenants. Now, I just want you to write that down. Hittite suzerain um, ancient covenant sometime at lunch today at brunch or whatever you can just drop that on people your kids you talk to them um tonight you can say yeah we're just just talking about hittite um co uh, covenant suzerain covenants you know um and you will smoke them uh they have no idea um so what did these ancient covenants look like? They, they, they had a form. They started with, a, with sort of a, a preamble, an, an introduction in which um, uh, particularly the, 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 uh, the suzerain, the Lord, would introduce themselves. And then um, you know, there would be sort of a historical recounting of, uh, of the interactions they'd had with the people. And then there would be the stipulations of the covenant, okay? Uh, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what you're going to do, right? And then ultimately, at the end of the uh, contract, at the end of the covenant comes what? 
Here's what happens if you don't do it, what you just signed to do, right? And here's what'll happen if I don't uh, do it. Here's the, here's the curses and the blessings of, uh, of this covenant arrangement. Sometimes if you're trying to read through the Bible uh, and, uh, and you make it through Leviticus, well, <laughs> you think it's all downhill from there, but then you get to I, you know Jeremiah and Ezekiel and uh, boy, you're in the desert then. And then you keep reading and get to Hosea, um, Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and all that. Um, and you think, who are these guys? Who are all these little guys at the end of the, uh, of the Old Testament? They're covenant lawyers is what they are. They are when God makes a covenant with Israel and Israel doesn't keep their side of the covenant, then what happens when you have a contract with somebody and, uh, and you don't do or they don't do what's said? You, we call that you lawyer up, right? Um, you send a lawyer to them and the lawyer says, do your part or here's what's gonna happen, right? Um, and that's exactly what those guys are in the Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all those guys that are covenant lawyers. They're, they're the people that, that are going to the people of Israel and saying, remember, you're in covenant with God. You made promises. You made obligations. You're not keeping them. You're worshiping other gods. You're uh, uh, engaging in the practice. You're abusing the poor. And God's angry about it. And wrath is going to fall. So here's your last warning. Got it? So that brings us all back to Genesis chapter 17, um, God initiates um, this. Oh, wait, by the way, that's the Ten Commandments, right? You see that this perfect form. First, God introduces himself. I am, I am um, the Lord God Almighty. And he says, uh, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, right? First, he introduces himself. Then he tells what their history with each other. I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you from bondage. Then the stipulations, what? We call those stipulations the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? You are not to covet. You are not to steal. You are not to write. He gives the stipulations of the covenant. So what do we find here? God goes to uh, Abram and he says, I will establish my covenant. God, the first thing to notice is God initiates this. God introduces himself, just like we said. I am El Shaddai. That's the term he uses. I am God Almighty. I am the great king. I am not one of the gods, like, like, uh, like the world has all these gods. I'm not one of the gods. Uh, I am the God. I am the, I'm, not the, I'm not the chief God in the pantheon of gods. There are no other gods. It's me. I alone am God. And he's introducing himself. I'm not a force. I'm not a power. I'm not the old man, up, the man upstairs. Um, I'm not a concept. I'm your creator. I'm your father, I'm your ruler, I'm your king, I'm your Lord, I'm your God. Got it? He introduces himself. Notice it's God who takes the initiative. Abraham's not out looking around to find God. God comes and finds somebody who's totally lost. God's the finder, God's the seeker, right? So what does he promise to do in this covenant, this passage? He promises, I will be your God. It's a personal relationship. I will be your God. Secondly, he says, I will give you offspring, right? I will make you the father of many nations. Um, now that's, a, you know, he even says, I'm gonna give you a new name. Remember, that's what, that's what Jesus did. Jesus came, he has a, a disciple named Simon and Jesus said, I'm gonna call you Peter, right? Because, because you're, you're stubborn and uh, you're tough 
and the church is going to need you. And, I, and, and on the rock of Petros, you know, I will build uh, my church. You will be called Peter, not Simon anymore. Renaming. It's, it's a sign of authority, right? I can just rename you. I can reset the direction of your life. So no longer will you be called Abram, which means exalted father, but Abraham, father of many nations. It's an astounding promise because Abraham is 99. He's 99 years old. And um, I mean, this creates a great problem for Abraham. You know, just think about like hanging out at the watering hole in the town square and somebody says, hey, what's your name? And you say, Abraham. And they say, wow, father of multitudes. That's, you know, kind of, kind of cocky name there. <laughs> kind of proud. So you must have a huge family. How many you got? One. <laughs> multitudes? Father of multitudes? You got one. Um, so uh, this is an astounding promise, but God makes this promise. I will give you offspring. I will, you will be the father of many nations. He's 99. I will be God to your descendants too, God says. This is an everlasting covenant. This is forever. It's not just about me and you, Abraham. It's about your, your children, your grandchildren, and on into the future. And I will give you the land of Canaan. I will give you a place. Um, I will give you a place. <clears throat> the land of milk and honey. And I will give you a promised son. Through, um, through Sarah, right? These are remarkable promises. And, and let me ask a question. What has Abraham done to earn these promises of God? What has Abraham done? Absolutely nothing. What do we call that? What do we call unmerited, unearned kindness? Grace, right? This is a covenant of grace. Look at all God's promising to do. Abraham has done anything, right? Now, why do we have to have covenants? Why do we have to have covenants? Because we are fickle, right? Um, we are fickle. We are we are um, we we uh, we are feeling oriented. We we have like like we have friends. You're my friend. You're my BFF. And then two weeks later, I'll never talk to them again, right? Um, friends come and go. Sometimes we have uh, uh, rich friends and we're children, and then we go on. We go to college. We leave home. We never see them again. We do life with them intimately, but then. You know, suddenly 40 years later, we realize that we've never seen them since, you know. And sometimes we have friends for a period of life. They move, something changes, whatever. Friends come and go. You know, an idea of the permanence. We have to have a, a, a covenant is, is a legal document, right? Imagine having a friend in which you sign, both sign a legal document that you will remain friends. And if you're not friends, then there's a punishment that falls on each person. Well, that's just not the way it works, Right? But it is the way it works in something we call what? Marriage. And marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant relationship. It's why one of the reasons I can't stand it when people say of their spouse, he or she is my best friend. No, they're not. They're not your friend. friend is, friendship is somewhat cheap, right? Um, this, this, is, this, is, this is your one and only. You can have lots of friends. You have one spouse, that's all you have. One husband or one wife. And you are in covenant with them. You are in a legal binding covenant. You have committed yourself. One of the best things I'm able to do when I do premarital counseling is to tell a couple sitting before me, gosh, you guys are just oozing that you 
love each other. And, uh, and you cannot imagine that there will be any breach in this, this great love. And, um, and yet I'm here to tell you that there's going to come a time in which you're going to wake up one morning and your uh, spouse is not going to be awake and you're just going to look over and, and it's possible an expletive will come from your lips. And, um, and you will say, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. I am indentured forever. I am chained to that, right? Um, and there's just a time where you say, I feel like the walls are closing in because I'm married to this person and I don't want to be married to this person. And why did I ever think that was a good idea? And we're a terrible match and we don't like the same things and life and conversation and everything. And it's not what I thought it was going to be. And not only that, there's a good chance I tell them that that'll happen on your honeymoon. And it's one of the best things, it's one of the, the things that couples have told me that they come back and they say, thank you so much for telling us that. So when we got on the plane to start our honeymoon and we had that moment, <laughs> um, you know, we didn't panic because you told us it was coming and it's just part of it. Um, because in marriage, it's till death do us part, right? We link ourselves to another person and sometimes, and sometimes there's a bad, it's not just bad hours and not just bad days. There can be bad years, but it's a covenant. God makes a covenant with us. So important to say. So what's Abraham required to do? We said what God has committed himself to do. What about Abraham? Well, what does God say? It's in verse chapter 17, verse one. Abraham's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him. I will be God Almighty. I will walk before, you will walk before me and be blameless. There it is. Walk before me. This is a, a rich biblical metaphor. What did God do with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? It says in the cool of the day, God came and walked with them. And then we get to Enoch. Uh, it says that Enoch walked with God and, uh, and he was taken up. He was no more. One of the only people in the Bible we don't believe died. God just took him. He walked with God. Then we get to uh, Noah in chapter six of Genesis. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah what? He walked with God. It's intimate, isn't it? Um, it means that we pursue God. We, we do life with God. We do life carum deo, before the face of God. We have God's face. We seek God, we talk to God, we pray, we meet with God in the morning, we meet with him throughout the day, we meet with him in the evening, we say goodnight to him at night, um, we journey through with God, we sing to God, it's relational with God. See what I mean? There's a lot of people who would say, um, I believe in God. Well, good. I mean, you, that means you, you're not dumb. You, you believe the obvious, right? I believe in God, but it doesn't mean you're in covenant with him. Listen, I believe in George Washington. I believe he was the first president, you know? I believed uh, um, he, he uh, lived right outside Washington, D.C. I believe he was a farmer and a general and had false teeth and all those things, you know? I, I believe in George Washington, but I don't know him. I don't pray to him. I don't talk to him. If I did, you'd lock me up, right? So you can believe in someone and not walk with them. This is what God's talking about. Walk with me, right? 
Diane and I are enjoying the, the fruits of an empty nest these days by starting early in the morning walking. Um, so we walk together and, uh, and, and we both feel this is really sweet um, for a marriage. Start the day connecting together. God says, here's the stipulations, Abraham, walk with me. Be blameless, right? Be fully devoted, yield to me, obey me, worship me. And what does Abraham do? He falls on his face, right? When he meets God. God says, take direction, um, you know, to, to be blameless. Take direction from me, I'm the boss. Be all in on his mission, you got it? But there's one more thing God asked, right? I mean, these are the hardest. Walk with me and, and to be blameless. Um, but there's one more thing he asked. He says, there's something else I want you to do. And I want you to do it today. I want you to be circumcised. You and all the males in your household. That's a big ask. Um, that is a big uh, ask. I'm gonna talk more about it in just a minute. So here's my question. Has God broken into your life and called you into covenant? Has God proposed to you? I want to be married to you. It's not a friendship. Um, I'm not going to be somebody you admire. I'm, I'm not just some teacher or professor that you can learn from. It's a marriage. It's a covenant. It's a legally binding commitment. Um, have you heard God make that ask to you? I saw this, gosh, I saw a video this week, a, a guy at a baseball game, at a baseball game, I think it was a baseball game. He gets on his knees in the aisle before his girlfriend. I'm a little suspicious because he didn't have a shirt on, so I'm not sure how much he had consumed at that baseball game. <laughs> but he takes a ring out of his pocket and he makes the ask at the baseball game and the crowd begins to chant and the girl says no. <laughs> Boom. Um, it's come kind of something sad about a proposal that goes sour. Do you know what God promises? To his bride, listen, I'm not making up this metaphor. The Bible says that the love of God is like a bridegroom. The, the God looks at us uh, the way a bridegroom looks at his bride. It says that in Isaiah. The Bible says that God calls us, love your wife as Christ loves what? The church. It's the affection of God. You belong to me. We're going to be in covenant. We're going to do forever. Do you know what God promises in this proposal? I will give you myself. I will love your kids like I love you. And I will give you eternal life. Death will not um, be the end of the story. And I will give you a land, a land of milk and honey, a new heavens and a new earth where you will live forever. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. It hasn't even entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who belong to him. I'm giving that to you. I'll provide it to you. Marry me. 
What are you gonna say? Maybe some of you said, I just wanna go to church. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. He wants you. It's amazing, isn't it? You know what C.S. Lewis said? Human history is the long, terrible story of men trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. There's a lot of things you can marry. Not one of them will be a good spouse, except for the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. You with me? Second now, let's talk about how you get into this. What's the oath? What's the oath? What's the sign? When a covenant was made, there was a signing, right? There was the taking of an oath. I do solemnly swear, right? So what was required for Abraham to do, to sign on? Circumcision, right? Um, Circumcision. Circumcision was painful and bloody. It required the foreskin of the male sexual organ to be cut off with a flintstone. Now, when we say Flintstone, that's not a little child's vitamin, and that's not uh, Barney Rubble. Um, it was a pretty crude knife, right? This um, circumcision was practiced in many cultures. So this wouldn't have been an entirely foreign idea. Not every culture, but some cultures practiced this. It was a rite of passage between being a boy and being a man. But here God says, all males in your household, Abraham, and going forward, it would be every male child on uh, the eighth day after birth. So why this strange rite of circumcision? Well, here's a number of reasons. One, it's irreversible. The covenant is permanent. If you get circumcised, you're circumcised. There's no changing that. It's, uh, it's permanent, right? Secondly, it's bloody, right? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sin and responsibility for the rebellion of Adam is passed down from Adam to his offspring, from generation to a generation. There's going to have to be a shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. Third, it's symbolic, right? God said, if you break the covenant with me, if you divorce me after marrying me, then you will be what? Cut off, that's what it says in the passage. You'll be cut off. And I'm gonna give you a picture of what that's like. I'm gonna give you a picture of what it's like to be cut off when you experience circumcision. Fourth, circumcision is is a brand, be like a tattoo, right? Um, Unfortunately, we see these people have their wives tattooed on their arm, right? And then it's crossed out, and there's the next one, it's crossed out, there's the next one, right? This is a brand, you can only get one of these, right? It sets God's people apart. God is saying, my people are to be distinct. You're not to be like the nations around you. You're not gonna have multiple wives. And men are like, what? Everyone else does it, the whole world does it. You're not gonna do it because you're distinct. You're gonna have one wife. You remember uh, when, when Judaism came along, one wife, are you kidding me? This is suicide. I mean, we've got to have tons of children to become powerful. We have to have many wives producing um, children. That's not, not in my house. Because your marriage is a picture of your relationship to me. You're not going to have many gods. You're not going to have many wives. You're going to have one. You're not going to be like everyone else. And the circumcision sets them apart. 
And last of all, it's a test, right? Is Abraham all in or not? This is a really good test, right? And what is verse uh, 23 of chapter 17 said? It says that the men of Abraham's house, Abraham and his son and all the men, they circumcised the flesh of their foreskins, what? That very day, instant. Their obedience was instant. Um, Let me just say a word about this. Why is a male child circumcised on the eighth day of their life? Why are children baptized as infants? Um, How can a parent decide um, for the child? It's the very thing God wants. He wants parents to raise their children to know God, love God, respect God, and serve God. Some people say, I'm not gonna impose my values on my child, it's up for them to decide. Oh, what bunch of baloney, right? You're gonna let your child decide? Um, Do you realize that children will eat marshmallows as their main meal, Um, meal after meal, right? No, you say, you're not gonna eat marshmallows. I'm gonna stuff a kale salad down your throat, right? It's, uh, I'm gonna give you vegetables and I'm gonna give you fruit and I'm gonna give you protein. I don't care whether you like it or not, right? Because uh, you're going to impose your values. You're going to impose these things in your child. I'm not going to school. I'm just gonna play video games today. Get your butt in the car, right? Um, that's the way it works. That's your parent. That's your job, right? Um, spiritual truth isn't a matter of personal taste, but objective reality. You grow up in a high-rise apartment, you have a little child, you go out on the balcony, the child says, I just wanna jump off, I just feel it, that's my value. What are you gonna say? There's this thing called gravity. You jump off, it's the end of your life, right? It doesn't matter what you feel or what you want to be true, there is truth in this world. There is objective truth. Jump from the 20th floor and your history, right? It's objective truth. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you can fly or not, right? And so we teach our children the truth. It's why God made us a parent. I will be God to you and your children after you. This is the singular most you know, purpose of a parent's life. It's to pass the baton of faith to your children, right? And grandparents and great-grandparents in this room, may this be the prayer on your lips every day. One of the things that I wanna say to the North American church, you know, who gets elected in our country to public office matters. So be a good citizen, inform yourself, and cast a good vote and participate. It matters, but it doesn't even come close to mattering like praying with your children on the way to school like getting in their bed at night with the Jesus Storybook Bible and reading them the Bible as they fall asleep at night and cuddling with your children and sitting at the dinner table and discussing the faith and world. What does it mean that these women in Iran are taking off their head coverings? What does that mean? What would the Bible say about that? What would Christianity say about that? So you discuss every issue of life through the filter of scripture with your children. That's what matters. That's what we should be excited about and passionate about. Not who's gonna be the agriculture commissioner of the state of Florida, right? That's our highest calling. Um, Recently, I got to quiz my grandchildren in Texas. My um, son-in-law and daughter called up and and said, uh, will you help catechize uh, the children for communion, to be admitted to communion at their church? And so we Zoomed for a number of weeks and I got to teach my two oldest grandchildren in Texas and then a week or two ago gave them their 
final exam. And then my daughter wrote me a text and said, I just can't thank you enough for doing this. And I thought, honestly, sweetheart, I think it was maybe the greatest day of my life. So, gotta say something else. How did God sign the covenant? This is really the end of the sermon. How did God sign the covenant? Um, so it's back in chapter 15. I didn't read it. Um, but you know how God signed the covenant? Abraham goes to God and he says, you know, we're in this together. You said I'm gonna be a father of many and, uh, and I don't have any kids. And, uh, and I'm too old to have kids. So you made a promise and you didn't keep it. Um, I need to know. I need to know, God. Why should I keep trusting you? And God enacts an ancient covenant ritual. He takes a, a number of animals and he has Abraham gather them up. I mean, like a, like a heifer and, and, and like a goat and like, you know, different birds and cut them in half, bloody. It's very bloody. And he makes like a pathway, an aisle. And this is an ancient way of making a covenant in the world. And uh, if you are making an agreement with your neighbor, you are in some sort of covenant agreement with each other, then you would both pass through the bloody animals split in half together. And you know what you were saying? If I break this covenant, cut me in half. If you break this covenant, you'll be cut in half. I mean, you, it's like, it's a blood oath, right? Only it's not your blood, you know, but it's a blood oath, right? Pretty serious stuff. So God and Abraham were anticipating are gonna walk through together. They're both making this agreement together. But what happens? God has Abraham sleep, and then in his sleep, God passes through the pieces by himself. The smoking fire pot passes through the pieces. So what's God saying? The keeping of this covenant between me and you, Abraham, will depend entirely on me. If I break the covenant, I will be cut in half. If you break the covenant, I will be cut in half. That's, that's what God does. That's the assurance of, uh, of God. Um, I want you to see the grace of this covenant. The order of the covenant signing matters, you know. Do you, you ever watch baseball and there's a pop-up in the infield and the shortstop and the second baseman are both coming at it together and they're both looking up, they can't see each other and they're gonna collide and the ball's gonna end up on the ground. So what does one of them have to yell? I got it, I got it, I got it, right? Loud enough so that the other one hears. That's what God's yelling in Genesis 15. Abraham, I got it, I got it, I got it. And God wants that, the sound of his calling that to reverberate all through the ages right to you. I got it. I got it. The, the oath of the signing matter, the ceremony matters. God goes first. The order of it matters. God goes first. Abraham gets grace in chapter 15. He doesn't swear to obedience. He doesn't get circumcised until chapter 17. It's not obey God and then you get the blessing. No, it's God loves Abraham. Then Abraham responds to that love with obedience. Do we obey God to get his blessing or do we obey God because we have his blessing? Abraham gets circumcised because he has the promise of God. He has the blessing of God that can never be taken away. Grace precedes obedience. I've had people say to me lately um, from other places, they say to me, my pastor's preaching exhausts me. 
It's just do, do, give, serve, be on mission, serve some more. It's never enough, there's always more. I'm just tired, I'm just a failure. One friend said to me that growing up, everyone in their church said, I just feel like everyone left every week feeling more guilty and tired than when they came. More beat down, more burdened. And I wanna tell you that to my shame, I used to be that pastor. My message to this church used to be, hands on the plow, no turning back. Do not look back, right? Um, God's smile is on you if you do not quit. Um, then God's grace came into my, you know, there comes a day when you wake up a pastor and says, wait a second, why am I telling people I have to do all that stuff? You don't do it. You're a failure. Why don't I tell them there's grace for failures just like you? Matter of fact, you're a bigger failure than they are. Well, there we have it. Here it is right in the Bible. It's the grace of God, not a fear of being cut off that compels obedience. We obey the most profoundly when we are loved the most dearly. So who's the covenant keeper? It's the last point. Who's the covenant keeper? How do we get God as our God when we can't keep our part of the covenant? Jesus bears the curse. Jesus gets cut off instead of us. We deserve to be cut out of the covenant with God, but Jesus is cut off instead. For Abraham and for us to be blameless, Jesus must be blamed for everything. Every sin of God's people from Abraham until Jesus, God held his judgment back. And then he took out his own son. Why? Because he promised. Because he's the covenant keeping God. He promised Abraham and his offspring. And Jesus bears the curse of failing to keep the covenant instead of us. And Jesus keeps the covenant for us. He walks blameless before God. He walks before God blameless. People say, I can't be a Christian. I don't have what it takes. Exactly, you don't have what it takes. That's why you need Jesus to be your covenant keeper. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for you, he obeyed for you so that right now, if you belong to Jesus, he looks at you as somebody who has obeyed every law of his. He looks at you as his beloved. So friends, in your weakness, if you are stuck, if you have a child who's struggling and you can't fix it, if you have a marriage that's struggling and you can't fix it, I want you to hear this morning the covenant-keeping God say, I got it. I got it. I got it. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. I got it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so fickle. We pledge ourselves and then we break our pledge. We don't keep our word. But you're awesome. You say that uh, it's forever and with you, then it's forever. 
And you say that you'll do it because we're weak and we are failures and you do it. And we celebrate that, that you pursue us, you run after us, you, you are gracious, patient, kind, and unfailingly good. And we celebrate you and we celebrate that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.